Father, we are thankful that you are our defender, that our foundation in you is firm, that in our relationship with you, we cannot be shaken. You are a God who provides us with stability. You are a God who provides us with a strong foundation. As we open up your word and look into it, help us to learn about this thing that would seek to shake us from the foundation we have in you. Help us to learn about sin today and point us to the solution for it. And I pray that when we leave this place today, we'll be able to say to one another that we have experienced your grace that is greater than our sin. It's in the graceful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Amen. Find your copy of God's Word and open up with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, we are going to be in chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, and I'll share a message with you that I've simply titled uh, this morning, Heaven, We Have a Problem. And I base that loosely off of that famous movie and that famous historical incident when uh, a call was made into Houston, Texas at one of NASA's centers, and the call was made, Houston, we have a problem. Something's going on. We need some help. Well, as we're going to look at the church today, they needed to call out to heaven that they had a problem. They, something came up and they, they needed some help and we're going to see that today. Hopefully we'll learn from that as we move through our text. I remind you that the church of Jesus, now the church of, that man makes is different, but the church of Jesus did not start as an institution that was to be maintained. It, it did not start as a building that was to be occupied, and, and it did not start as a service that was to be attended. Rather, the church that Jesus built began as a movement of followers of Jesus who were called out and gathered around a mission that God gave them. That mission was to take the gospel from where they were to the very ends of the earth, to take the gospel with them wherever they went. Their mission was to live as if they were sent by God into the world with a mission because they are. You and I have experienced and received that same calling from God. And by the time we get to the book of Acts in chapter 5, things are going pretty well for this church, but the enemy does not like it. Satan has already tried to hinder their work. In fact, in chapter 4, he tried to send persecution to the church, but that didn't work, and so he's going to change his tactic now with this church. The same is, is pretty similar for us today. When a church of the Lord Jesus today seeks to take one step forward, the enemy will seek to push us at least two steps back. 
back. Sometimes that strategy of Satan is to bring in that persecution from the outside in, but sometimes that strategy is to call sin to to, to fester and to grow from the inside out. Now, in the American church, in our Western context, we really don't have a clue about what it means to be persecuted. We may have a few inconveniences if the air conditioner goes out one Sunday, but that's not persecution as much as you think it might be. Okay, we, we don't really have any idea about that persecution that these believers faced in Acts chapter 4, but I think we are much more familiar with the trouble that occurs from sin that is within. I, I believe that the, the, the American church, the, the church in the Western world, our church included, we experience a, a great deal of internal pressure from sin. After all, the church, your church, this church is pastored by a man who who has a PhD in SIN. Yeah, and so do you. <laughs> and the person you're sitting by, well, I should say the person you're sitting on yourself. And if you're sitting on someone else, you shouldn't be in church, okay? Just <laughs> fix that right now. But you yourself are just as much an expert at sin as I am. Well, Things are going well at the end of Acts chapter 4. In fact, I want us to back up and just see how well things are going for this church. We looked at these verses last week. It won't hurt us to look at them again. Where chapter 4 ends, if you look in chapter 4 and verse 34, it says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money, and he laid that money at the apostles' feet. These were the most generous people of all. The gospel had loosened their grip on their stuff and tightened their grip on one another. That's what always happens when the gospel grabs a hold of you. When the gospel grabs a hold of you, you let loose of your stuff so you can help other people by being generous. Barnabas lays his money down and picks people up. He's a picture of a person who's been transformed by the gospel. So our encouragement before we even look at our text today is to be like Barnabas, not like the people we're about to see. Acts chapter 5 says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, the only good thing about their names is that'd be an awesome tag team wrestling name. That's about as good as I can get it. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself, saw the proceeds, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? 
While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it, I guess so. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church <laughs> and upon all who heard of these things. At this point, I've got a feeling that Peter said, Heaven, we have a problem. And I want us this morning from this not so admirable event that took place in the early church. I want us to still learn from it because Acts chapter 5 shows us the damaging effects of sin, but it also points us to the power of the glorious grace of Jesus when dealing with sin. So I want to mention to you this morning very briefly three things about this text, about sin that we learn from this text that we need to, to grab a hold of today, understand, notice, and leave here changed because of it. First is this, we need to understand the source of sin. We need to understand the source of sin. For you see, when God created the world, he created a world that did not have sin. Sin did not exist. When God created man, he created man, and that man and that woman <coughs> did not sin. Sin did not exist when God created man and woman. God gave man and woman God gave humanity, made in his image, he gave them a free will to choose between right and wrong. By the way, God also created angels. God created angels. You don't become an angel. Bad news, sorry, regardless of your Facebook post, if you ain't an angel now, you ain't getting there, all right? God created angels. You don't become one when you get to heaven. God created them. And then when God created them, <coughs> he gave them the same free will. Some of those angels chose to remain true to worship God. Some of those angels decided to revolt against God and to seek their own glory. One of those angels' names was Lucifer. We know him better as Satan, the devil. And he rebelled against God. And since that time, he has been tempting people to sin. Back to our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, in that Garden of Eden. No sin at all existed until the tempter came and tempted them. And Adam, of his own free will, chose to sin as did his wife Eve. And since that time sin has entered the world. So you could say this about sin. The source of sin is contained in two places. And this text will bear it out. It's contained in Satan and self. Did you know that you're a sinner? Bueller, Bueller. 
Ask the person next to you, am I a sinner? Go ahead, ask them. What'd they say? What'd they say? Well, they said yes, okay, they should have said yes, okay? We are sinners. The source of sin is Satan and self. Go back and look at Peter's words in verse 3. Peter looked at Ananias, he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Who's behind this sin? It is Satan who's behind it. Interesting enough, this is the first post-cross appearance of Satan. This is the first time he shows up after the cross. Before the cross, Satan's strategy was to kill Jesus. That didn't work out too well for him. And so now his strategy is to destroy the church of Jesus from within. And that is still his strategy today. Also notice Peter's words there in verse 3 where he said, why has Satan filled your heart. It's the same language he used back in chapter 3 where it talks about how the followers of Jesus were filled not with the spirit of Satan but in chapter 3 they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, your life is going to be filled. It's going to be influenced. Your life is going to be directed by one of two things. Either the spirit of sin and Satan or the Holy Spirit of God. One of those two. There's no third option. One of those two will be what drives and directs and influences your life. What was the wrong? What, what, what was so wrong with the actions of Ananias and Sapphira? Was it because they kept part of the money? No, that's not what Peter said. Peter said that the problem was Ananias, when he presented the gift, he presented it as if it was the full amount. He lied to the Holy Spirit of God. But their lies pointed to a deeper problem. Because I know you're thinking, well, I'm not Ananias. I would never come in and lie about what I gave. (laughs) But it points to a deeper problem. The deeper problem that Ananias and Sapphira had was that they, they loved money and they loved the praise of people, but they didn't want to give away all their money, so they told a lie in order to both keep their money and get the praise of other people. You see, because the source of sin is a sneaky Satan Sin and sinners can be sneaky as well. On the outside looking in, if we had been a member of this church, the outside looking in, uh, in the church, the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira looked just like Barnabas. They were both active in church. They were both to a point generous. But deep in the heart of Ananias and Sapphira was a love for money and a love for the praise of people and they They never offered repentance for those sins. They are the opposite of Barnabas. Barnabas was filled with the Spirit and gave away his possessions to bless people. Ananias and Sapphira were filled with self. They were filled with the love of being praised and the love of their possessions. So they lied 
excuse me, about their generosity to gain praise from people. Again, you are in one of two boats. You're either filled with the Spirit, which leads to joy and contentment, or Satan is filling your heart with yourself, with the love of people, the praise of people, and every other poison that comes from the sin of pride. Sin's source is Satan and self. And that means we need some help. That's coming up. But before we look at that help, as we understand the source of our sin, let us secondly understand the seriousness of sin. We got the source, Satan and self. And now we look at the seriousness of it. Now it should become apparent that this particular sin carried serious consequences. You had two deaths in a matter of hours. And, and sometimes this text causes people to ask a question, why did God strike them dead? Does everyone who lies like this get struck dead today? <laughs> it reminds me of, of the, the pastor years ago who preached on this text, and, and he said, what would happen if God struck people today for lying? He said, I'll tell you what happened. I'd be preaching to an empty congregation. <laughs> now, let's, to understand, before, we, before we move on, let's understand this. And, and to understand it, we need to go back to our previous discussions from a couple of weeks ago about miracles and signs. Okay, when miracles and signs take place in the book of Acts, that is, that is God taking something that's true in the kingdom of heaven and he's making it visible, he's putting it on public display. For example, back in chapter 3, you had the healing of the lame man, remember that? The healing of that lame man, the Bible tells us, was a sign. It was done to validate the message of Jesus that the apostles were preaching. That doesn't mean that the healing of the, the lame man, Acts chapter 3, doesn't mean that we should have healing services today because it was a sign for a specific purpose. In the same way, God doesn't strike dead everyone who lies to the Holy Spirit today. Rather, it occurred here in this context as a sign, and the sign was very well seen. What I do want you to be sure to notice is that what you see happen to Ananias and Sapphira is a picture of how God feels about sin. In, and it's a glimpse of what future judgment holds for everyone who has the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. But listen, pay real close attention. Instead of asking the question, why did God strike them dead? The better question to ask is, why hasn't God struck me dead? The wrong question is, why did they die? The right question is, why haven't I? Because you see, sin, this is how serious sin is. Sin is rebellion against a God who is wholly good and who only does good things. Our sin, as R.C. Sproul says, is cosmic treason against a holy God. Our sin is a slap in the face of this kind of God. And the fact that God 
God doesn't strike us dead the first time we sin, or the fact that God doesn't strike us dead when we sin later on in our lives, that is proof of the mercy of God because that's how serious sin is. I want to read to you an excerpt from a book. Just, it just takes just a second. And if you don't have, if you haven't read this book, it's called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. And you should read it. But let's somebody said it's up on your screen as well. And talking about God, he says that God is indeed long-suffering, patient, and slow to anger. In fact, he is so slow to anger that when his anger does erupt, we are shocked and offended by it. We forget rather quickly that God's patience is designed to lead us to repentance, to give us time to be redeemed. Instead of taking advantage of this patience by coming humbly to him for forgiveness, we use this grace as an opportunity to become more bold in our sin. We delude ourselves into thinking that either God doesn't care about it or that he is powerless to punish us. The supreme folly is that we think we will get away with our revolt. You see, this is why you see the word fear tied into salvation and worship. Verse 5, verse 11 tells us that great fear came upon the church. It was followed in verse 14 by salvation. The deaths of Ananias and Sapphira reveal to us how serious sin is. And those who were there that day (coughs) whose sins were not yet forgiven turned to the Lord. Well, you think with me for just a moment. Will you think of what Jesus went through to save us? Will you think about the nails that they placed in his hands and his feet? Will you think about the beard that they plucked from his face? Will you think about the spit that the Roman soldiers spat into his face? Will you think about his body lacerated to a bloody pulp with whips? Will you think about that crude crown of thorns that was pressed and forced down into his head? Will you think about the emotional pain and torture he went through? Will you think about the fact that he was forsaken by his father so much that he cried out, why, God, have you forsaken me? That all shows you how serious sin is. If we do not take sin seriously, if you put off dealing with sin, if you refuse to consider salvation, if you refuse to consider Jesus, what's it going to be like when you stand in God's presence? That's why the author of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation because sin is serious. We need to understand the source of sin and the seriousness of sin, but number three, we need to understand the solution for sin. 
no one in this room today can escape the reality that they are sinners and that our sin has consequences. Read Romans chapter 3 sometime and you'll see the consequences of sin. You'll see the fact that we're all sinners. Romans 3 tells us that we have already, uh, it's already been charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. It is written, none is righteous. No, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one is good. No one does good. Not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the consequence of that sin, according to Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. And in that verse, don't think that's talking about physical death. That's not talking about physical death. When Paul says the wages of sin is death, he's talking about spiritual death. He's, he's telling us that the cost of our sin, because it's so serious, it separates us from God forever. You know, there's, there's talk and there's debate today about the nature of hell. And you can hear people talk about, well, is, is hell literal flames of fire? Is hell uh, subconscious torment? And I'll listen to guys and they'll talk about everything else. My answer to what hell is, is sufficient. Hell is the absence of God. That's what makes hell, hell. The complete absence of God, the complete separation from God. That's the cost of sin. The wages of sin is spiritual death. And since the first time, the first sin in the Garden of Eden, our natural reaction is to try to hide from our sin, to shift blame from our sin, to try to ignore our sin, but we cannot hide anything from God. The solution, the good, and I know it's, it's been pretty bleak, but this has not been a Hallmark special this morning. But it's going to get better. Because the only solution for sin is found in the life, the death, and the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the last part of Romans 6.23, it does tell us that the wages of sin, the cost of sin is death. But, but, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. But don't miss this important part, man. This is, to me, it, it, you, you may think it's, it's not interesting. Maybe it's just a nerdy thing for, for preachers. But don't miss an important part of this narrative. Peter, in essence, calls Ananias Satan, right? Back in the early part of this, verse 3. Why has Satan filled your heart? But it wasn't too long before this that Peter was the one who was called Satan. Remember Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 16, I think it is? Jesus said he was going to be betrayed, and Peter said, that ain't going to happen. Nobody's going to kill you. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. He called Peter Satan. Because you have in your mind not the things of God, but the things of man. What's the difference? In one instance, a man called Satan, whose name is Ananias, drops dead. In the other example, an instance, the man called Satan, who we know as Simon Peter, lives and leads 
the church of Jesus in this book of Acts. Here's the difference. Peter repented of his sin. Ananias did not. See, sin does not have to be fatal. The problem of sin can be solved as we confess our sins to God, as we ask God to give us a repentant heart, as we trust in the work of Jesus for us on the cross, as we believe in the truth of the resurrection. Here's the great irony, and I'm I'm done after this. Here's the great irony of sin, the great paradox of sin. If you own your sin, God will release you from its penalty. If you hide it, you will be held accountable for it, and you will be judged for it. So stop trying to play hide and seek with God. He's going to seek, I guarantee you, and he's going to find it. Ten times out of ten. Why don't you give your sin to Jesus and allow him to give you salvation? Confess your sin, Jesus will forgive it. Hold on to that sin, you'll be held accountable. Which situation are you in today? Would you bow with me this morning? We're going to bow, we're going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and sing, and we're going to have what we call our time of commitment. And maybe as we've gathered here this morning, as we've talked about the problem that showed up at this church, you've understood the problem that sin has in your life. But as you understand that source of it, and you understand the seriousness of it, you want to seek the solution for it. Would you just cry out to Jesus? There are no magic words to say. In fact, sometimes I think one of the most effective prayers I ever pray is just to say, Lord, help me. (laughs) Help me. Do you need the Lord's help today? Has there been a time in your life when you've confessed your sins to the Lord and asked him to be your savior? If not, when I pray in just a minute, I'd invite you to pray right where you are and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. You got questions about that? We'll be glad to answer them. We'll stay here all day. I'll stay here all day if I have to, to help you understand how to take that step to make Jesus your Lord. Maybe Jesus is your Lord. And maybe you're flirting with sin right now in your life. Would you not allow your mind to forget and ask God to remind your heart with the seriousness of it? And remember that repentance turns those who are called Satan by their actions into saints. Father, I'm thankful that Jesus did for us on the cross what we can never do for ourselves. And Father, we pray now for whatever needs are in this room today, whatever decisions need to be made, that those steps will be taken today. Thank you for providing a solution to our sin, and may we seek that solution today. It's in the name of that solution, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.